We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcast now on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. I'm your host, Carla Navas, and with me today is producer and co-founder, Mr. Brian Goins. We're doing something a little different on the Five Reasons Podcast. Until the Miami Heat are eliminated, Ethan and I will do review preview episodes after every game of the Heat's run in the NBA playoffs. It's a broken record with Dwayne, where every time you think he's done he turns in a performance like this and he's doing it in that jersey what were the odds in the summer of 2016 that we would ever see a Dwayne Wade do this in a playoff game again and b do it for the Miami Heat we're trying to do them straight after the game's end and post overnight so subscribe to the five reasons podcast on iTunes or Google Play and follow along as the Heat go through the NBA playoffs why did you spring that on me now like, yeah, that, that was what you wanted. No, I because like we have to play promos because now we're partners with other podcasts. And I asked Brian, and I was like, yeah, you know, eventually, you know, let's let's play the promos for the other show to cross promote and everything. And you felt it was appropriate at that moment, as soon as the show started, to have witty. This and, is what happens when you give me creative freedom. I don't. I take it back. Um, <laughs> Brian's a Brian's a company man. That uh, that oh, voice I you hear. I can fix this. Hey, hold on, is, is Hawkman part of the show? Oh my god, no! Stop! Don't enable him. I haven't even finished introductions. <laughs> Jesus. And he can't even find the sound on time. Do you see that? Brian, you're so bad. That was your chance to play the sound. We have our anime lover and photoshopper, Mr. Brass Jazz. What's up, everybody? We have our pun master and statistician, Nikaias Duncan. What's going on? 
We have our other statistician and other Photoshopper, Christian Hernandez. Well, hello, hello. There's so many stats tonight. So many stats tonight. And we have our professional screw-up, Alex Toledo, who asked before the show, can I please restart my MacBook to make sure that my internet connection is good? What's up? I can't think right because of Christian and Brass and their smooth voices. <laughs> smooth talking. Okay, so uh, we've come, uh, So if anyone's new to the show, that's kind of how we are. We're a bit of a disaster. We're also a lot of fun so we hope that whoever is joining us for the first time via the five reasons podcast network welcome 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 to heapy so last night d wade comes in he saves the day that's my guy you all know how much i love Dwayne, and i was very emotional last night because as i am i cry for everything and Dwayne makes me happy much to the dismay of nikaias duncan who hates seeing Dwayne wade succeed wow i called you out that's a hard call out but like so I, I guess I want to start with the way. The, so my watching experience for this game was weird because it was my mother's boyfriend's birthday. So we went out to dinner. So I'm in a restaurant. And we're like in the corner and I'm watching a TV. Like, thankfully, it was a big enough TV that I could see. But like, I'm like trying to like get the right angle. And it's difficult to watch a game under these conditions. But Dwayne starts hitting jumper after jumper. And I'm like. I'm getting rowdy in the steakhouse. Like, I'm clapping, I'm fist bumping, and everyone's staring at me, but I don't care, man. Like, that that night, like, that's what, like, that's what he came back for, to do it in that uniform, like, on the road when they freaking needed it, even though all the numbers... And, Christian, I think you put the... You put the story up before the, the season, before the playoffs started. Like, the, the Heat were not great offensively with Dwayne on the court. No, in fact, they had been quite poor. Care to elaborate? Did Did you want more than that? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. I did. Your NPR voice. I, I got. I got. I got nothing to bring right now. Okay, all the stats told me to bench Dwayne and play Rodney Magruder, and then he did that last night. I, nothing makes sense anymore. It's the playoffs. Nothing, Nikias. You have been the. I think the uh, like the voice on Twitter that's like. Cause like you're, you know, most people who cover the Heat just like want Dwayne there, and you're like, no, dude, like he's not been great. Yeah, and like overall he hasn't been, but this was exactly the kind of game that he was brought in for. Um, the game got ugly. Um, Goran Dragic had it going, but he got in foul trouble early, so Miami needed someone to be able to create and make some tough shots. And Dwayne Wade got on fire early with a couple of jumpers, and then it was it was just a snowball effect from there. Like, they can't count on that, right? Like, that's nothing. Like, what he did was kind of unsustainable nonsense. Yeah, absolutely not. Right? But, like, I think what you can't count on are, like, the adjustments that Spolstra made. Like, they, instead of, like, game one, they were giving Ben Simmons all this space. And that space disappeared. They were playing super close. Like, Justice was very physical with him. Even JJ. JJ, particularly in the second half, um, they moved him up to kind of press on Simmons. They were pressing him full court at times which i really like because he's that that's a super turnover prone team so i think they're they're first in the league in turnover percentage so i really like that i don't know if you guys saw anything else like adjustment wise that spolster did that you guys really liked i mean Um, the biggest change they definitely made was just not giving simmons all that space and gianni kudos to you for being one of the only people who was pointing that out (laughs) <laughs> but it's true. It, he, I mean, when you just let him sit there, and it's like all you need is one good screen to be set. And there were multiple 
times in game one where Wayne Ellington in particular was just getting caught on a screen for multiple seconds. And that just that puts so much strain on the rest of the defense. It led to open shots every time. So having guys like JJ and Justice and Dwayne and Bam and Hassan, and they threw a little bit of everybody at him, um, I think it really took them out of what they wanted to do, which was the same thing they did in game one. Who doesn't want to score 130 points? But, I mean, he still had a good game. I mean, especially during the comeback. I mean, he was particularly the spark. So it's not like, and I guess this is classic NBA playoffs. Like, you're not going to you're not gonna take a guy away, but can you slow him down enough so that you can win? And, Nikias, you you made the point in game one. Like, Miami, and I think it's, I think we can all say this, or maybe, maybe we can't, but at least I think it's obvious to a lot of people. Philadelphia is better than they are. I think it's pretty clear. I don't know if I'm yeah, alone. Yeah. Right, Nikaya said this. And But is, is Miami, does Miami have enough to make the game ugly with the situation that they have with Embiid, that they're young? That can, can they do enough wackiness, gimmicky things to make this work to win four times? Like, they're going to muck it. Like, last night, they mucked that game up. A lot, and that's what they're gonna need to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. The ugliness factor is really the only thing they really have. That and the three-point shooting, they weren't really. I mean, they weren't world beaters last night from three, but they weren't missing everything like they were in game one. And Philadelphia just compl- their shooting just completely fell off a cliff. Um, except for Sark, that guy scares us. <laughs> except for Sark, that guy. Uh, yeah, they shot Philly shot two of nine on wide open threes last night. And they were seven of ten in game one. Like I don't know if you can. There's going to be some um, regression there. I, it was more steep than I anticipated it to be. But hold on, but that game one, like I think, I mean, we oh, were watching. I mean, that was like ridiculous. I mean, the things that Bellinelli was hitting and and Sarek, and it was like, come on, are you serious? Like that also. Oh, yeah. That regression like, are, was going to hit. Oh yeah. But I'm saying instead of hitting, what, 62% of their threes in game one, if they sell in at 38, 37, like, I feel like that's normal. Philly was completely awful. Like, they had nothing from deep. And, so I'm sure it did. Yeah. Alex, oh, you go ahead. So I also think that he did a really good job at guarding the three yesterday, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, having Jay Rich out on the perimeter. And uh, like you said, the ugly thing is really the only thing they have. I feel like it's, it's so obvious that – the game is going to be dictated by how well they can stop Philly's offense, which when you don't stop it and they start running, they start getting out of transition like they did in the first quarter, they might be on the way to dropping 130 on you out of nowhere. And it feels like I still can't trust the Heat to stop that over a long period of time. Like um, They did it a lot yesterday after the first quarter, but it feels like they go on a nice run, then the Heat go on a nice run, and I just I don't trust the Heat to keep it up. Uh, I I don't trust their offense to keep it up. Like I think the defense, like I think a, at times they fall apart a bit, but I think the offense is the thing that we'd all be concerned about. And Brass- but the offense is so based on the defense. Like they don't get anything going until they start getting that defensive momentum going because they're just not reliable at scoring the ball in the half court. So it's like it's it's almost more based on their defense than with so many other teams. I really think that like a lot of the problems get fixed if if Ellington like starts shooting the ball better because like they do so many of those little elbow sets for him and that opens up so much because if Ellington's like if Ellington's getting the gravity that he demands that opens up for Kelly and when that opens up like I'm not talking about Dwayne or Gore and like those guys are supposed to get their shot when they can but Ellington uh, JJ 
uh, Olenek, Jay Rich, they need each other to kind of help them open up the floor a bit. So if like one of those guys isn't functioning well, you know, it really hurts the rest of them. And I think that's kind of evident. I think Olenek's probably the only one who can kind of survive that because he can get his own shot pretty easy. But I mean, crafty. Huh? I mean, crafty. Um, go. Show killer, Alex. Christian, go. No, I was going to say, honestly, if there's a guy that I think should get like more touches and more chance to run the offense, it's actually JJ. I mean, he's actually he's been great so far in this series, and he is. He, I think he's been one of the best isolation players in the NBA in the last two seasons. Yeah, like weird. he can just take the ball off, you know, off holding it still, and then take off, and then just either blow by someone or use some force to push him off a spot and get himself an easy attempt. And you know, I think that puts a lot of strain on a defense, knowing you have to cut off a guy, and then that leads to more open passes and things of that nature. So I think he's. JJ's a guy. He only had seven attempts last night. He was on fire. How did he only have seven attempts? He is. He was seven for seven last night. Um, I I kind of thought he played within the role. He hit that really big corner three. Uh, yeah, that that play swung the game. Oof. That and the Dwayne steal that was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, Dwayne. Well, you know what's funny is that, and I saw people tweeting about. I I forgot. Maybe it was Ira, and I always give Ira a hard time. But one of one of those reporters or somebody tweeted. Can the Heat last five minutes without Dwayne Wade? And it felt like I was like, "Is this 2009? Like, what? What are we talking about? Like, they have to survive the Wadeless minutes? Like, I don't know. Like, it was it was really fun to watch. And he comes in and he gets that steal immediately after next offensive possession. He gets JJ on a screen slip, gets him wide open under the rim, and then that kind of gave them the cushion that they needed to be comfortable with the game. Yeah, Wade. Wade when 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 you talk about like uh, playoff experience and and uh, you know be able to to help out the team, I mean that was just Wade is the prime example of that because, I mean Wade took over and he had just the biggest balls ever. Yeah. In that like it, he was just like unflappable that guy and it was just unbelievable. Brian, speaking of balls. This week on the Ballscast, former Marlins president and current friend of the show, David Sampson, joins us to tell us how he dealt with a fan yelling, fuck you, at him with a little kid next to them. Slim and I, and only Slim and I, talk Heat Sixers, and we get properly baked talking about Rick Scott running for the Senate. Because how the hell else are we supposed to deal with the unending xenophobic fascist tyranny hellscape we're all currently living in? That plus so much more on this week's Ballscast. Ballscast. So let's let's deconstruct that for a second. We are part of a podcast network, Five Reasons Podcast Network. Follow them, Five Reasons Podcast Network, uh, on Twitter. Uh, we'll five Reasons Sports on Twitter. Oh, that okay, fine. Uh, thank you, producer co-founder. The number five. That is um that is one of our sister shows. That is the Balls Cast by one Adam Smoot, uh, Skinny McGee, or Slim from the Morning Show of Seven Ninety The Ticket, and Chris Joseph. Correct. 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 Yes. I think it's uh, funny that they're trying to exclude Smoot from their promos. They are, because I think Smoot quit, right? Adam quit. What? Yeah, yeah, allegedly. Adam Adam quit the show. Are we are we breaking podcast network We're news? We're breaking right now? podcast is network this news. No, it's not a bit. I believe that Adam Smoot quit Ballscast. Uh that's After why the they first said episode. Yeah, Slim and me and Slim and only me and Slim. <laughs> um so check them out. Uh, as well as um, as Ethan's show, and we have another promo that we'll play for you later to promote our our sister shows. Will um, Smoot be joining Heat Beat? Stay tuned. 
Addition by subtraction. <laughs> Be nice. That was funny. Ah, I couldn't resist. Oh my god. Well, at, well, well was, whatever. They they called you an asshole on the last episode. But yeah. So, so like, I guess it, I guess it's a fun time to talk about. Like, we have a very contentious relationship with Ballscast, and not Slim because Slim's awesome. He's been on the show, but Adam Smoot uh, hates us, especially on Twitter. I believe he has hasn't his- hasn't Chris also been on the show? Yes. Chris Joseph has been on the show. He was on one episode. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yes. So Chris, Chris, and have been on. Uh, Adam has not. Um, Adam hates us. Has us all muted because we made fun of his pixel art, and uh, he was oddly very sensitive about that. Adam, I want to tell you something. I think you are a very good graphic designer. I envy your uh, your graphics, and I think you're doing great. And you're also really good with the pen tool. I'm very jealous. Pen tool is hard. He's also not listening. I know he's not listening, but I'm doing this for the <laughs> network, Ethan. I'm doing this for you, Ethan. I'm trying to promote. Be, be familial here. Um, so enough about the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Follow them uh, and all the shows. Let's get back into the heat. And um, we haven't talked about Justice Winslow calling Ben Simmons a bitch-ass N-word, which was hysterical. Nikias, I know that you took much delight in that. <laughs> I did. Feisty Justice is fun. He's usually so quiet and reserved. And um, he took that Ben Simmons matchup personally. And it was fun to see, especially on that possession where he took Ben Simmons full court and, you know, drew the charge and then said what he said. But that just kind of lets you see some of that Hold competitive. On, wait, wait. I forgot. What what did he say? Well, see, I can't say it. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's allowed to say it, it's you. But, you know, you and Alf. I, call, I called so many people bitch ass under my breath today. So many. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Justice had that in him. Like, like, but it wasn't like Justice like saying it. It was Justice very aggressively, like bitch ass, like, mm. like he was. <laughs> yeah, haven't seen this Duke. Yeah, like I didn't even. I didn't know he had that in him. I was like, Justice. Did you guys listen to the morning, sh- the local hour when it started this morning? No. What happened? What yeah. Oh my god, Mike! I mean, the the whole shipping container was going crazy, obviously. But Mike Ryan was just screaming out, and one of the things he said that almost made me crash my car. <laughs> he was like, "Justice Winslow went to a private school in Houston, and all of a sudden he's from Compton." Compton, yeah. <laughs> I cracked up, dude. I mean, like, I, I mean, Justice has just what is the most interesting thing Justice has said in a Heat uniform? Jesse Spencer. I mean, it's that, right? Like, and it, there's no second place. Yeah, the sec- closest thing you get to second place was, what, the Devin Booker quote? But even then, that's just Heat Twitter taking more out of it than it was. So guess, That's what we do. Did you see what Heat Twitter did this morning? Yes, yes, I did. Um, okay, so... I, start- <laughs> I guess... Dark yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> the best part about the playoffs is the rivalry with the other fan base. So when the Heat played the Charlotte Hornets, it felt, and even with the Toronto Raptors, like it was kind of like, they were like middle school insults, right? And it was it was kind of lame. Sixer Twitter and Sixer fan base, they're really mean. So it's been really fun to go back and forth with the fan base. And this guy, which I'm not even sure he's a Sixer fan, I think he's at Free Darko on Twitter, was just talking about like how, like, the, the the celebration around Dwayne Wade is stupid. And he Twitter just buried that guy this morning. Just buried him. And I almost felt a little bad. But not really. I mean, he, he asked for it. He He's asked done this for in it. The past. 
He's done this in the past. Don't yeah. people know better? Like, I think our fan, like, I take pride in our fan base being really annoying. Well, so, Philly fans in general are just the, it's the worst fan base in the entire world. I think the Celtics are way worse, and I think we're pretty bad, but, like, no. Those two, like, take pride in being mean. Like, that's, feels Philly like a competition with, with Philly and Boston. Little Boston oh, man, fans are a- bad. What were you saying, Brad? I mean, uh, isn't the free Darko guy a, um, like a troll? I don't know. He's doing a bad job. Like, isn't that, his, isn't that what a Russian, his, a Russian that, like, bot? Stick when he's not... I mean, what? I mean, I mean I don't know. it was a bad stick because he just kept taking like L after L. Like he just like to- he oh, just tweeted absolutely. me. And he he like t- he tweeted me, "You suck," and that was it. And I was like, well, "You had to <laughs> well, dig deep for that one, man." Like, yeah, but he, I saw him tweeting like, "Oh, you guys didn't even go for the physical threats and none of that." I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's, like, he's playing with us. He doesn't like, care about us." Like, Do you want us to physically threaten you? Like, we just spammed your timeline with Marcus Cambies and made fun of you. Like, what do you? It's like, how Philly fans interact with each other. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> But at the same time, if we were from Philly or anywhere else that doesn't care about the Miami Heat, we would be saying the same exact thing. Would we? I don't know. Because about it's that. how we it's, we it's how that. we talk about like Boston without Kyrie and Hayward. We're like, oh, look, who do they got? Like Terry Rozier, but like they they play at a similar level to to the Heat, right? So it's like it's kind of like oh, it's the outside perspective coming in, and we're kind of mad about it. But I think we were just subjecting to as a fan base, like yeah, we're going to have reverence for Dwayne Wade today because Dwayne Wade was freaking awesome yesterday and we're going to celebrate that because he's 30 bleeping six years old. He should not be safe. Like, Dwayne Wade should not be saving a team in the playoffs on the road. Like, he should not be make his first seven shots and completely dismantle. But that's exactly exactly what I'm saying. The Alf from Philly or Alf from Boston or whatever whatever (laughs) Alf from... The other side of the country will be saying, D-Way's not going to do that again, even at home. We know D-Way's that. Hold on, wait a that. second, wait a second. But that's what I'm saying. But, like, like if he said that, he's saying. like, dog, come on, we all know that D-Way's not doing that again. Like, Dwayne's not doing that again. We all know that's that. That's exactly my point, that it feels like we went after him for something kind of small, but I also love it. But I don't that's what really Twitter is, like, dude. He Twitter, like, we don't, we don't care. Like, we go after people that, I don't know, we just, we need, like, Heat fans need blood. Like, Heat fans grew up in the fire. Like, that's what people that aren't Heat fans don't understand. Like, at, like when the LeBron years happened is when the internet boomed. Like, the social media kind of, like, sports watching experience boomed. So, Miami fans not only had to, like, endure all the, like, talking heads on ESPN and sports radio trashing the team. It's everyone else in the country on Twitter. So, like, a fan base got super insulated with just each other. And all we had was jokes. And, like, that's why we are the way we are. Like, we had memes. We had horse cocking. We had, like, we were just, Wait, like, the savage fan base because everyone hated us. And, like, it came at a time that we were the only ones. Like, in that's at least in basketball, they were the only fan base that was like that at a time when everything boomed. So, now it's gone. And we crave the, like, we crave the fight because that's. That's what made those years fun. It wasn't just LeBron, Wade, Bosch, and championships. It was the fight. It was like getting into it with Will Bond, making the Michelle Beal jokes. It was getting at it with Stephen A. Smith. Like, that's what made those years super memorable as a fan, like, in conjunction with the basketball. So, like, this poor guy in Philly, just like the Ben Dossett guy in Utah, like, you say one thing, and, like, we crave this blood so much. Like these piranhas. We're piranhas. Like he fans are bloodthirsty animals, and they're like, we need blood. Our Wait, say that again, Chris. Just... Oh, 
Chris, Chris, say piranhas one more time. Piranha. <laughs> so. All right, go ahead, Alex. I mean, it's just fun, man. I cut yeah, it out. Now he Twitter just has baby pictures and it's totally washed. I love the baby pictures, man. <laughs> I know. Hey, whoever makes those memes, it's so stupid. Oh. And and dude, and whoever like took the Camby gifts and like modified, like, ugh, way to ruin it. Way Bunch to of washed tweeters. Washed tweeters. <laughs> um, I I love I love people calling others washed tweeters when uh, someone called oh. me a washed tweeter when I created three of their avies in the last year. So whoa, whoa, the Ooh. hard callouts okay. by brass. Brian needs to edit some gunshots right here. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> what the hell is that? That is not. No. <laughs> Brian is a one trick uh. pony. <laughs> and like when Brian had the, the whole. He's just smashing the soundboard. I thought for sure he was going to play Hey, it's Mark Hockman. He still hasn't found You're it. You're so. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Not like, I don't play. I don't play request. Brian, like it's not hard to Produce, find sound. Like oh my god. <laughs> um. Okay, Brian. I, play... I, have, I have a question because we we may or may not be expecting Anthony Chang. Uh, should we be expecting Anthony Chang? Anthony Chang the Palm Beach Post. Hi, Anthony. Uh, should we be expecting him or or not? Yes. Okay. Good. So. uh do we have time for a quick small sample size theater? Do we have one today? We have a bunch of samples, small samples okay. and, and so, numbers. So play play the open. So we're, we have some stats. Okay, so let's hit, hit it. Be a producer. Wait. Great. I was trying to text Anthony okay. back. Yeah, this is going swimmingly. He's so bad. <laughs> He's listen for all you that are just. If this is, I hope this is your first time listening to the show. This is the operation that we run. This is the guy who told me to be on like 20 minutes before the show. Dude, let me tell you something. I've listen, I've had a busy day. Like I'm like low key, like I may be in love. Like I, you know, the, my, I run out of the gym, man. My head is swirling. There's a lot going on. I'm in school. Like, you know, I'm working full time. Excuse me. This is the theme song of your life right now. When it comes to samples, size matters. Except for this next segment. Let's have some fun with some small, teeny-weeny sample sizes. This is Small Sample Size Theater, featuring Lake Heights, Duncan or Christian Hernandez, whoever is available. And we have both today. Who wants to go first? Who's kicking this off? Yeah, uh, Nakaius, you want to get us going? Sure. Okay, we talked a little bit about how Miami made the game ugly, kind of slowed down the pace a little bit. Um, Philly had 107 possessions in game one. They got chipped down to 101 in game two. Um, their seconds per possession went down by about a second. Um, they didn't get to push the ball as much or as quickly after makes. Um, the time possession went up about a second. Uh, Miami's press definitely threw them out of rhythm a little bit. You got anything? Uh, I do, actually. Well, hold on. I uh, I, I kind of want to digest what Nikaias is talking about because okay, that's yeah. that's kind of like what going into the series, uh, we realize that Miami's not gonna be able to play at that offensive pace that Philly plays at. So the fact that they are able to slow them down a little bit is really huge and kind of a credit to to Spolstra and what they want to do. Like 
when 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 Philly's making the runs, it's because they're running. It's because Ben Simmons is sprinting. It's they're getting out in transition. They're not allowing Miami's top ten defense to set to get organized like they want to push. And when Miami plays that tempo, they don't have the offense to keep up. So the fact that Nikaias is saying that they're slowing them down, even if it's a little bit, and I imagine when Miami's at home, that Philly's gonna get even slower. So that kind of bodes well for them. Brass, you wanted to say something? Yeah, my my question is, uh, what are the the rough numbers when it comes to Embiid being on the court with Philly? Like, what what's their pace like when Embiid is involved? Um, so, I actually had a little. Oh, go ahead, Chris. No, 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 you got it. You got it. Okay. <laughs> I was looking at those numbers <laughs> 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 earlier today. Um, with Simmons and Embiid on, I think they played roughly a pace of 100, which is just a little bit slower than their season average of 102. Um, but with um, Simmons on and Embiid off, that goes up to 104. And so it's going to work out for us. So we're going to we're going to smoke him when Embiid comes back. Am I crazy to think that Embiid kind of helps the matchup for Miami a little bit because he will slow them down a bit? And like, I think a problem that Miami has is Bam oftentimes. And I think Hassan for sure, like they both look a little lost on the court, especially defensively. And I think when Embiid comes in the game, it kind of puts everyone in a position where they're comfortable defending the person that they're defending. Because, like, having Hassan and Bam, like, chase around Ilyasova, like, makes their lives miserable. And it really fucks everything else up behind it because how Miami kind of plays that on-a-rope defense. And if they're not doing their job, it makes it... And I know Jay Rich and Christian, I, I hope you bring those numbers up. Jay Rich is having an amazing defensive postseason, and so is Winslow. But you're asking them to do a lot more than they have to because now you're having to cover up for other people's mistakes. Right, and I, and actually, um, I think it was Nikasi tweeted this out earlier. In game two, the Heat actually did a really poor job of staying out of transition, but they got a little bit lucky that I think the Sixers shot under 50% in transition, which is very, very low um, for any team. Um, because usually those are easy baskets. But uh, yeah, but anyway, transitioning to what you brought up, uh, one of the things that I found today that was that honestly didn't surprise me because you could see it when you're watching the games but Jay Rich and Justice are actually first and second right now at a uh, percentage difference, which essentially makes their opponent to a lower percentage than what they typically would shoot. Um, and right now, Richardson and Winslow are holding them both about 18 to 19% below what they usually shoot. For example, Justice has uh, gone up against 31 shots in two games. He's only allowed nine baskets. So he's clearly been smothering whoever he's been on. And I know, I mean, actually, I would love to know who he's been spending the most time on because he's only spent a little time on Simmons' last game. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't following him closely through a lot of the game. So I'd love to know who he was guarding. I actually have something. But, but you keep talking while I find that information because I do have that. Right. No, and I mean, and I think uh, Jay Rich is, is only allowed seven baskets on 25 attempts, 28%. I mean, those two, just with the volume that they've been taking on as well, I mean, running around screens, chasing with shooters, uh, especially Jay Rich, um, you know, they're a big part of why Game 2 went so much better for the Heat. And it's also part of how they kind of slowed the pace down as well because in the first game, Philly was just getting to their first action and getting an open shot and scoring. 
That's why the pace got out of control for them. When the Heat take Philly out of their first action and force them to go into some improvisation, that also eats a lot more time. So that helps Miami as well. So to answer your question about who Winslow spent the most time on, in game one, it was Ben Simmons, but not by a lot. He spent about the same time on Dario Sark. Uh, he spent quite a bit of time on Bellinelli and Fultz, and then the rest is just kind of like small possessions on, on other players. Um, in game two, that number, if it'll load. Um, I'm guessing he guarded Sark most of the game, right? Yeah, in game two, he did a lot on Bellinelli. He did less on Simmons. He did pretty much Sark and Bellinelli. He spent the majority of his time on. Um, so that that's how that kind of played out. James Johnson actually did the most time on Ben Simmons, like disproportionately, like huge amount of time on Simmons, according. But uh, okay, and I got two more to small go, guys. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got two really good ones because they're super small. Okay, right now in the NBA playoffs, the best spot up shooter is James Johnson because he is a perfect seven for seven on spot up shots. It's incredible, and that's not something he's good at. Uh, Brian, we're ready it's for Anthony. He's he's very bad at. And then one more, Wayne Ellington is number one in the NBA playoffs in field goal percentage off of screens, shooting eighty percent. Boom. Sustainable. Hello. Hello, Anthony Chang. Welcome to the program of the Palm Beach Post. Straight like that? You're gonna get you're gonna get me on the spot like that? We're we're live we're on the podcast already. We're live on the podcast. Brian put you in through. I, I, that's that's how this works. I mean, we've been recording, so we're half hour in. Wait, we can actually give you a minute if you want. Do you need a minute? We Anthony's a professional. He doesn't need a minute. He's bang bang bang. In the latest three yards we carry, you listen to this type of analysis. He is the most explosive player in this in this draft. He is. You know, you only have to turn on the film to see that. I can have, yeah. No, I mean, come on. He is not just explosive like diarrhea. That's outrageous. And this. Hopefully, go. Bo Scarborough has uh, more control over his bowel movements than Andre <laughs> yeah. Davenport. Yeah. So remember to listen to us every Thursday morning on iTunes, Podbean, and your favorite podcast provider. Did Anthony hang up? Call Anthony back. You confused him by playing a three yards per carry ad. That's you got put on hold. I heard diarrhea. Call call Anthony back. Um, oh, that was a promo. That was a oh, promo. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, five yards per carry. Uh, check that out as well on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. They're great. We have a British guy on staff. Also, Alfredo, who fights with everyone on Twitter. I'm sure that if you're on Twitter, you know him. Uh, hey. Anthony, that was hey. us playing a promo of our uh, sister pod of our sister podcast. Oh. Yeah, we were giving you time. <laughs> you must have been so confused. Like, where is this British voice? You guys don't have a British guy. No. Yes. <laughs> well, welcome to the program. Um, Anthony. Yeah. Last night, D-Wade. That's your first time covering, like, a Dwayne playoff game, right? Or this is the first series because you weren't here in 2016, correct? Yes, well... This year, because of circumstances, my wife is about to give birth to our first child. I didn't. Whoa! Oh, congratulations! Spo beat you to it. Spo beat you. So you weren't there. Culture. I was not there. Okay. My, my colleague Tom D'Angelo was there. So Tom um, held it down. Tom held it down. I'm hoping to travel at some point in this playoffs, but I'm I'm waiting until until uh, until baby's born. So. I'm kind of playing the waiting game. I'll be there. I'll be at the home game this, later this week, but 
I was not there uh, uh, earlier this week. Okay. Take your time. There's a lot of heat games coming up in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, you might need another five. So you hope never so. baby's you born. I, I saw a funny tweet, and it's like, how many more times can Dwayne Wade do this if someone goes 15 more damn times? <laughs> I don't know if you guys read it, but Deadspin had something up. I think they're the ones that tweeted that. They kind of tweeted that that was the best Miami could play, and they won't be able to replicate that performance. Yeah, that was Christian. interesting because – this is why nobody reads Deadspin. Yeah, yeah. I don't really go to Deadspin for my sports news. Oh, we we go to Palm Beach Post. We go to the Palm there Beach Post for Anthony Chang and Tom D'Angelo. So check them out and their hey. coverage on the NBA playoffs. There, Anthony. Where can people follow you on Twitter? At Anthony underscore Chang. So follow Anthony. He's a great reporter and a friend of the show. Anthony, like, so, I I, I mean. Something that we've been talking on the show has been like adjustments and it's particularly like what Spolstra has done. What do you think? I mean, you've you've been around him all year. How and and like do you think he when Embiid comes back, do you think he's gonna be willing to change the starting lineup or what? Like is he gonna is he really set on what he's got? Or I is, think he's so I, I think if anything when Embiid comes back it just means Whiteside probably will play more there'll be a need for him. I, I just don't think right now if this series stays the way it is and Embiid doesn't come back, which I'm sure he will come back either game three or game four, um, there's really not a need for Whiteside. And we've seen that the first two games. Even when he's out there, he's kind of not that useful because, you know, the Sixers play so fast and they play so small. And with their spacing lineups, you know, just just doesn't – Hassan can't – he can't play in that style of game. He's not effective in that style. Um, I think everybody has been waiting for him to adjust to it and, and somehow be this dominant force and take advantage of guys inside when teams play small against them. But that's just not who he is. Um, I think Spolcher is going with what works right now, and that's what you have to do in the playoffs. You can't play a guy just to make him happy. You've got to go with what works. But I think if MB comes back, there's a need for white, there's an obvious need for Whiteside. Um, so I think that would be the biggest change, but it's not really a lineup change because Hassan has been starting. Well, Anthony, like, is Hassan aware that he can't play that style? Because I feel like we all, it's obvious to us, but I think the question, like, is Hassan aware? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, you could say he was coached into this or, you know, he's trying to say the, P, you know, the PC uh, thing and saying that he understands why he's not playing. But that's, even if he's, even if he's being forced to say, say that, that's kind of a step in the right direction for him because as we've seen in the past, he tends to say the wrong things a lot of times. Even when someone pushes him to say a certain answer, um, he tends to still say the wrong thing. So I, I think it's encouraging that you have seen some growth, some maturity from Hassan, and he, he's handled it pretty well the first two games of the series when asked about why are you, why are you playing only 12 or, you know, or 15 minutes and why can't you be effective? He's kind of admitted, look, I haven't been as aggressive. He's put it on himself. Um, so I think he's starting to kind of get it, that maybe this is a bad matchup for him. But everybody knows who, how Hassan Whiteside is. He thinks he can be effective in any style. So I, I don't know. That's a, tough, that's a tough question. But I think he might be starting to get it uh, somewhat. I kind of feel like Hassan like, looks at his effectiveness and particularly just on the offensive end. Like Hassan's like, I'm being aggressive. Like I, he means offensively, not defensively. Like at least how that's how it comes off to me, and that's kind of where they need him the least. They kind of need him because, like, 
where he's getting like the the point about the style is that he's getting burned by like Ilya Sova, right? Like right. that's the part yeah. that I'm like, is Hassan aware that like, dude, Ilya Sova waxed you to the point that you could not be on the court, that it was obvious to everybody. Like, I guess that's kind yeah. of what I well, wonder, like if defensively he's aware. I, I think he, I think he would like to play more to prove that he, he, I think if he, I think he thinks if he plays more, he could win that matchup. I, I think he probably would. He, he, in his mind, he wasn't given the chance to, because whatever, twelve minutes and you know four or five of them were played against Amir Johnson. So let's say six were played against Ersan Ilyasova, and yeah, he played really played bad in those minutes. But I feel like he thinks he could have adjusted. But I think the most most concerning thing, the most discouraging thing, is you would hope. Okay, fine. The Sixers have an advantage. On the offensive end, Hassan doesn't, you know, play the perimeter well as a as a defender. But okay, on the other end, you have a seven footer, a dominant force in the paint, against a stretch forward guarding him. He has to take advantage of that, and he hasn't. I mean, you could say the Sixers have loaded up in the paint, which they have. They put multiple defenders on him. They made it tough on him. They made entry passes tough for him. But he has, as a as a max player, ninety eight million dollar player. He has to find a way to be effective and take advantage of that matchup, and he hasn't. And that, to me, is the most concerning thing, especially when you say this guy is your highest-paid player. And guys, like interject when you want, but like I think, Hass- like the idea of Hassan attacking a guy on the other end is all nice and good, but like the part, the bad thing about Hassan is that he's he's so bad at posting up, even in the sense of like. Hassan very rarely gets good position on the low block. He always, like, because it's easier because that's where he gets pushed to, that mid-post area. And, Anthony, I don't know, has the coaching staff ever, like, mentioned that? Because, like, it it drives me crazy when he's posting up at the mid-post and facing up like he's Amari Stoudemire. I was like, dude, no. Yeah. Well, I think Dwayne mentioned that after game one. He said, you know, Hassan needs to see figure out ways to – to be in better position offensively, be in better spots. So I think I think they mentioned that to him. It's just it's a the way Philly's playing and they're kind of pushing him out, which you know that's that's some of that's on Hassan. He needs to get better position. But you're right. I think some of it is he just he he you know he offensively he still is not to me as good as probably you would expect him to be at this point. I think you know there's still a lot of room for him to grow. And that's kind of, you know, at 28 years old, you wonder how much more he will improve. Um, but yes, I think he struggles sometimes finding his spots on the offensive end. A lot of his points come from offensive rebounds or alley-oops. But when you say, okay, we're going to throw it down to you on the block, that's not Hassan's game. Um, and that's where you would want him to take advantage of that, of that matchup in a series by being that just throw it down to him and let him pound their son, you know, in the paint. And he just, he just hasn't been able to do that this series. Anthony. Oh, go Chris. Are you, were you going to let him go or no, I was going to change the subject, but what did you want to say? Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just the, the, the issue with Hassan is, you know, in the playoffs, they scheme, they start scheming for you. They start exploiting your biggest weaknesses. And what they've been doing a lot of is running screens with Hassan's guy being the screener. And that forces Hassan yeah. to make a decision on the play. And he hasn't been very interested in going out to the perimeter. And, right. you know, it, and when, when it comes to the rebounding, too, he there's just times I'm watching him and he's just – 
when a shot's going up, he's just drifting away from the basket, not like in a way trying to get position. He's just like he loses focus or it's, it's but he's not constantly he needs to be aware that his position at all times matters. And I think it gets away from him from second to second. I want to add to what Chris's point. Didn't she actually post that chart last night where uh, I think it showed that Whites had had zero box outs yesterday? Right. And, you know, some of that, you, you have to be fair because he was on the perimeter a lot, but still zero. Yeah. I mean, Bam had nine in nine minutes. Like, to yeah. that point, Hassan's never been a guy that boxes out. He uses his length to corral rebounds because he has, what, a 7 7 wingspan or whatever. And, and he's I, a great rebounder. Like, yeah, he is. That's also part of the issue with Philly and just the guys that they have. Like they have, they can go small and stretch you out where it's only so. But those are still six, nine, six, ten guys that don't mind getting physical. Yeah. And with a guy like and Hassan, and Ersan is always a good rebounder. Like what you're saying, he's not. He's a good rebounder for his position for for mm-hmm. what he, for a stretch forward. He's a he's above average rebounder. Yeah. And I will say one thing on Hassan. Um, I wrote about it. I don't think giving him a steady diet of post touches is ideal because of a his efficiency there. B he doesn't do the work early to really establish position. I will say it's a bit odd that Miami hasn't even tried at all. Like I came in the game too fully expecting, even if they're just token touches, they're going to run this punch set and they're going to get him the ball on the low block on the first three or four possessions of the game just to let them feel it. And they haven't even done that. So on that front, I can kind of understand Hassan being frustrated. Like okay. I already have to chase someone that I'm not really comfortable chasing. And then on the offensive end, I'm setting I'm setting decent screens, something that's been a problem for him for three years. He's been a good screener in this series by my eye, and he's not getting rewarded at all. Like, the lob from Wade to Hassan was probably the first time that anybody yeah. made a concerted effort to feed him. So, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of... yeah. No, Dwayne actually tried a couple of times. I think one time, yeah, one time was that lob that he connected with, but there was a few other times where he tried to throw it, you know, to him over the top of the defense, and you know, Hassan fumbled in. It was a turnover, but Dwayne was—you could see that Dwayne was trying to get him involved in the game, and he was the one, at least the one guy last night, um, who who did that. And like the thing, the 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 thing with getting Hassan involved early is that game was interesting because Goran was coming mm-hmm. off that poop performance, so you knew that Goran had to get established early on. And nobody's going to get Goron going. Goron has to get Goron going. So you kind of had that element in game two where they couldn't really give Hassan the touches early because they got to make sure that, hey, Goron has to get his because we need him, especially because he's going to be playing more. So then Hassan kind of got left out of that equation because I think it's pretty clear to us that Goron doesn't really do Hassan many favors. Oh, he does not. He's not. Oh, go ahead, Anthony. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Gorn is just not the passer that Hassan needs. He needs Dwayne. Yeah. Like, he's the only guy that can really kind of create those passing windows out of um, out of thin air. Like, I've been complaining about Gorn missing guys on slips when they trap him in pick and roll all year. Like, he very rarely does it. Or even, you know, he very rarely attempts it, much next connect on it. You think that he's scared yeah, he, of just he, turning it over? Like that's kind of what I—that's the impression I get. Because I don't—I don't think that it's not that he doesn't see it; it's that he's scared of turning it over. I think that defense is intimidating, man. But like he's—but like even like like divorced from this series, like it's something like it's been a problem all year. And since he's—I mean, you, you've seen a di- and you and you've seen a difference of Dwayne. Like when Dwayne's in the game, whether it's Bam or Hassan, 
he's he's finding them for alley oops. He's finding them for those, you know, off the off the pick and roll. If they're rolling to the basket, he'll he'll throw, he'll lob it to them. You don't see that many times on Goron at well, all. Dwayne's um, totally not scared of messing up. Like D Wade's so okay with throwing a ball that ends up in a fast break dunk. Like he's so cool with it. Like. And that's kind of <laughs> no, but like, like you need to not be scared to make the great plays yeah. happen. Like you can't play. Mm-hmm. Like Dwayne's not a conservative player in that sense. Like it's going up. Brass there was some, I, I yeah I forget who I don't know who it was. I don't and I certainly don't want to promote any uh, Philly uh, Twitter users, but they <laughs> they made a pretty good observation today. One of them yeah. uh, they they were talking about the crowd. Um, you know the crowds. You know saying are you kidding like. <laughs> Like Dwayne, you know, going through the big three, like a crowd, the crowd's booing. It doesn't affect him. He's just he's he's used to all of this. He's gotten all of it. And yeah, the guy's like, he's not so, scared of our crowds. They were trying to kill him every time he walked into an arena during the big three. Exactly. So it's it's just it could be no matter what crowd it is, it's ineffective on his you know emotions. And we haven't celebrated. He's not Kevin Hart. We haven't celebrated Dwayne enough today. I mean, we started off early, but we've kind of like gone everywhere in the playoff series. But like. The thing that he provides that's so vital is kind of what Anthony brought up, how like he's trying to get guys like Hassan involved. He's getting guys like JJ open threes in the corner that like these huge possessions. He's getting guys like Justice, you know, easy baskets. Like, And I think it's clear that he is the best passer on the team, at least from a creation standpoint. Nikias Christian, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly I test Dwayne is the best at getting guys good looks. Uh, I think Justice actually had him beat in terms of pick and roll creation. I think Justice still had him beat in terms of passing, but I mean by the eye, yeah, still yeah. Dwayne. Justice still has yeah. things he has to work out when he's attacking the basket. And that's kind of like just, just, just Dwayne's creativity with the pass. I think it just it's, it's it exceeds everyone on this roster. I, I believe just just the creativity. I and mean, you could say it's and the ambition, and Anthony, and all that, but the ambition and, and what he attempts, ambition, yeah. Exactly. And exactly. that ambition is what took him to another level. Like the 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 gall of the field goal attempts he was taking last night. It's like, I mean, those turnarounds on the baseline were like, dude. But like he takes them and he hits them. But like just the gall to take them. I mean, he was feeling himself those, later, but. Yeah, I mean, those are bad shots usually, but for him, that's his shot. I mean, that's what he's made his. Career he missed them in game one, though. In game one, those weren't going yeah. in. Well, you might miss them in game three. You, you might have to live with them because that's that, you know, you have to live with the good and the bad. And, and Dwayne's not going to shoot like that every game, obviously. He was seven of eight from the mid range. Um, you know, that those aren't great shots. But if he's going to make them and if that, you know, that's that's effective, he, I would think he, he took more because he was he was so hot. He, he could feel that he had it going. If he, if he misses his first two or first three shots, he probably doesn't shoot that many of, of those fadeaway turnaround uh, jumpers over over a long defender like Covington or Simmons. I mean, that that's not going to happen regularly, but he, he was feeling like last night. I mean, but it's also the free throw attempts. Like, he was at the line eight times. That's double the next highest person, which was Olenek. Like, the fact that he was getting free throws off pump fakes, mostly off pump fakes, but sometimes, you know, getting to the basket, like, that's that's what's huge. Because that, that also controls the pace. Like, him getting to the free throw line eight times, like, those are eight, you know, like, that's possessions that you can slow down, that you can set your defense, and that's what Miami wants. Yeah. I, I think, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't look at the pace yet, that number, 
but I think the pace was pretty similar to game one, if I'm not mistaken. The kindness, is that right? Or uh, it was slightly slower. Uh, Philly had six less possessions than they did in game one. Okay, but I just felt I think more than anything, even aside from the pace, it just was so choppy because of all the fouls and the mm. physical play. I think that made more of an impact than anything. Just just the choppiness of the game. Uh, it, I think it really impacted Philly's offense. And just the flow of the game that they wanted to play at. Almost 60 fouls between the two teams. It was 27 and 26. Like, so. And that first quarter was crazy, especially for Philly. They were getting every single foul call. And a member of Twitter was blowing up about it and then turned around for Miami within like a minute. <laughs> um, Anthony, I want to ask you a question. What do you think the adjustments would be for game three if you're, if you're Philly coming to Miami? Um, well, I, I think you guys... You gotta maybe try to have so maybe two ball handlers on the court with with the with the full court defense. Um, you gotta you gotta play more physical. I think they're gonna they're gonna try to do what Miami did to you know give them a taste of their own medicine. I think they're gonna try to be more physical with the Heat. Um, and I think you saw some of the adjustments Brett Brown made in the second half offensively. Offensively, Philly was good in the second half. Um, you know whether it was on the inbound finding Ben Simmons. You know when Miami was being super aggressive. For, Finding Ben Simmons streaking down the court. I think they're going to try to take advantage of of Miami's aggressiveness, um, and the Heat have to be ready for that. They have to kind of be ready for Philly's adjustments. So, I, you know, I, as far as the Heat, they got to play like they did in Game Two. It's going to be hard to replicate that intensity every single game, that kind of physicality. But that's what they need um, each game. I think that's the recipe for them in this series. Um, but I would expect Philadelphia. To kind of give Miami a taste of its own, of its own medicine in An- Game Three. Anthony, we'll let you go on this note. What did you think when Justice Winslow called Ben Simmons a B A N? I thought that was a great mock- microcosm of Game Two. I think that play <laughs> was, was perfect, like representation of what Game Two was between those two teams. The Heat kind of bullied Philadelphia last night. Um, and, and that was just an, a, a prime example of that. Anthony, you're the best, sir. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your baby. I hope it comes soon and uh, healthy and wonderful. So thank you for always making the time for the show. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, congratulations again. I haven't been on, obviously, since you yes. made the announcement, the big move. So I, congratulations. It's well-deserved. I'm really happy for you. Thank you so much. And what he's talking thank about you. is our move to the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Started by Ethan Skolnick and Chris Whittingham. Anthony, again, you're the best, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy your family and enjoy the playoffs because they're really fun this year. Thanks, guys. Enjoy it as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, whether it's a boy or a girl, please name it Tyler. Or Pinocchio. Or Tyke. Will we'll do. Will do. <laughs> It'd be great if Anthony names a baby Tyke. Oh, please. It would Pinocchio be better. It no, would... Pinocchio because he's the puppet. Oh, that's right, Anthony Chang, the puppet himself. I should have been—I forgot to introduce him that way. That was—that was good, man. I'm, I'm, I love how he turned bitch ass into a microcosm for the game. That I, was elegant. That was veteran. So that was veteran. That was pro move. I did that in seventy percent to see how he would squirm out of it. 